From Wall Street to local government, Carmen Hughes has made it her business to open doors and create opportunity in business. Now she's answered the call to help her city understand the true power of woman. The climb to the top feels so good when you get there. Is it just us or can it feel lonely sometimes, even when you're successful? And who defines success anyway? What about life's twists and turns? We've learned a few things along the way, and we're ditching the culture of competitiveness. Bringing together women from different backgrounds to share their stories. Let's do this together. Welcome to Think Tank of Three podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Think Tank of Three. Audrea Fink is taking a break, but we'll be back with the team. In the interim, along with Julie Holton, I am Rishia Candidate Capasuris. Welcome to the show. Our third for Think Tank of Three is our guest, Carmen Hughes. Straight out of Howard University, Carmen's determination was on display. Starting as an analyst at J.P. Morgan, she quickly worked her way up the ladder with the goals of opportunities for women and people of color top of mind. She was the co-chair of the Investment Bank's Black Employee Business Resource Group and implemented several key diversity programs for Black and Hispanic employees. Her success at J.P. Morgan allowed her to walk away from a 20-year career on Wall Street when she was ready and move into her next chapter, founding her consulting and talent development firm, Edelweiss. Carmen's expertise in diversity momentum was sought after. Following the election of Caroline Simmons, Stanford, Connecticut's first woman mayor, Carmen was hired as the city's first diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. She is charged with developing policies to attract, promote, and retain a diverse workforce throughout the city, its boards and commissions. And she joins us now. Carmen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are so grateful to have you with us. It, it is amazing. What is so amazing about you is, you know, we only give some quick highlights to your career and you've got so much happening in that realm. Can you just talk about how the diversity and inclusion aspect of your career, how that has been such a touchstone for how you function? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it actually started with my career on Wall Street, you know, being one of the very few women on the trading floor and a woman of color on the trading floor. I was constantly being tapped with helping to recruit and more women and minorities on the trading floor or within the investment bank. And um, as I became more senior, I noticed myself becoming more and more of a mentor to more women and minorities. And I also felt that there were fewer people who looked like me at the top uh, who were comfortable giving me that advice that isn't in the textbook. And I'm talking about that in the moment advice, those informal rules and practices that could be true career killers um, if no one tells you. And that reminds me of a story that of a young woman earlier on in my career, I was given the role of, of managing a, a desk. And there was, as we were in the performance review process, there was a woman who everyone was giving rave reviews about saying, oh, she's phenomenal. She's so great. And we all went to her because she knew everything. She'd been in this role for about 12 years. And then I said, well, why don't we promote her? And I was, oh no, she doesn't want it. I'm like, and she's great at what she does and oh no, she's happy and i was like are you sure she doesn't want it oh no we're sure she's never asked for it she's happy doing what she wants so after the meeting i went over to her and said are you really happy doing this do you not want more she's like no i want more you know and later she actually ended up becoming a trader and i gave her that advice on being bold and asking for it so 
you know, at that moment, I made it my mission to really make sure that I was helping more Black and Hispanic employees and interns and women get familiar with these informal rules and, you know, break out of their cultures, which was her culture, which was, you put your head down, you do a good job, you're going to be recognized for the good job you do, and that's how you get promoted. So the whole time, she was just working harder and harder and wondering why everyone else was getting promoted and thinking she just had to work harder, not realizing it's because she just never advocated for herself. Wow. Isn't that incredible? I mean, we talk about that theme so often on the podcast of making sure your voice is heard and not, you know, not making assumptions one way or another. And I love too, Carmen, that you didn't follow that assumption that she didn't want more. You went and, and asked her about that. How, how should women, how do we take that step? If someone is actively you know, working hard, maybe they're hearing this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, that's me. I've been working so hard, but my head's down and maybe my boss doesn't know I want the promotion. What do you do? You had that conversation. <laughs> No, yeah, I say jokingly, but it, it truly is that simple. And maybe it starts with saying, asking yourself, what do I want and why do I deserve it? So you can go in with your list because that's going to be asked of you, right? When you go in there and say, I think I'm ready for a promotion. You want to be ready to answer those questions. So ask that of yourself and be prepared and know that it's because you haven't advocated because I think we, for the most part, people know you have to do your, you have to do your job well, right? In order to be considered. So as so long as you think you're doing your job well, then you know you should have that conversation. Because what the only thing that can happen is that your manager will give you great advice on what you need to do to get to that next level. Because sometimes our perception of what we're doing, you know, we're working hard but we're not working smart. So you'll get that intel and you'll get that conversation of what needs to happen to get you to that next level. But you'll never know unless you have the conversation. And this is also wouldn't. I, I would assume I, I, I'm thinking back, Julie, to our conversation with Aaron Wolf and developing also those relationships with individuals, actually not even just Aaron Wolf, like you said, we've had this discussion with so many different individuals regarding advocating for yourself, but finding someone who's also going to advocate for you and developing that, that mentorship, um, having yes, that individual that sponsor, that woman who, at the top, who's helping you working with you to, to bring you up with her, which is Carmen, right. exactly what you're describing. Yeah. You know, and I will say that it's important to have someone who looks like you to be that trusted mentor, but it also is great to have someone who doesn't look like you who doesn't represent you to, and, but having that person who kind of understands what you're, where you're coming from is truly valuable. And, I'm sorry, I'm a storyteller, so I'm gonna tell another story. Um, <laughs> I actually recognize that early on too, is that people don't know how to get mentors and people don't know how to get sponsors and they really don't know the difference between the two. And so oftentimes people try to use their manager as their mentor and sometimes that works, but that doesn't always work that way. And so one of the things I did, as I said, I was early in my career, always tapped with recruiting so when it was, the interns came in, I realized it was the interns that were making lots of mistakes early on. And I realized because they had no mentors who were in their group, because oftentimes within the black and Hispanic interns, you're the only one in your group, you know? So there's no one else to say, am I getting treated like this because of what I look like? Or am I getting treated like this because I'm the intern? That's how interns get treated, you know? And so yes. I quickly held an event at my house for all the black and Hispanic interns around the trading floor and I matched it with senior 
black and Hispanics within the firm. So that way they had a place outside of work where we could feel safe and share those informal rules and experiences and then let the natural law of attraction kind of help them find their own mentors and sponsors, whether it was in their group or not within their group. And just from that experience alone, we saw the increase in hiring at the end of the summer. Because one, they felt supported, and two, someone was whispering, no, don't do that, or it's okay, just keep follow through. Because they were all smart enough to be there. They just had no one whispering in their ear who they felt trusted that they could go to before. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. I mean, can you talk about the atmosphere? What was it like? I mean, you've you've had to navigate, I, I would imagine, a variety of, of obstacles to get to where you are in your career with your success. What, what was this atmosphere like? Oh, you know, the atmosphere of, of J.P. Morgan, I was truly blessed uh, to be there because I did find mentors, both who looked like me and who didn't. And I was able to serve on a number of diversity committees that exposed me to people outside of my group who I could connect with and who I can depend on, who I could trust. And I, I want to share a funny story. Of course, I told you I have a story. <laughs> I, uh, early in my career, I was invited into a diversity committee. And I remember walking into the room and I was the most junior person in the room. Everyone else was executive directors or managing directors who are very senior within the bank. If you understand the structure, it goes analyst, associate, vice president, executive director, the managing director. And I remember walking in thinking, oh my gosh, I'm an associate. Why am I in this room? And I was one of two black people in the room. Everyone else in the room was white. And I said, okay, I don't know why I'm here, but I was invited. So I'm going to take a seat at the table and... I spoke up, I gave my suggestions, I offered to you know, do some investigative work and you know, come back and lead one of their initiatives. And at the end of the meeting, before I can get to my desk, it was an email from the head of sales. And he was like, can you come to my office? And I was like, oh no, I spoke up too much. What was, what was I thinking? You know, you weren't supposed to be in that room. And so he asked me, he goes, why were you there in that room? And he did much politer than what I'm, I'm suggesting now, but I explained and I got the email. He goes, oh, I get it. It was supposed to go to Carmen, the assistant, not you. But you know what? I really appreciate the value that you gave and I want to formally invite you into the committee. So in that moment, I realized the power, you know, I was like, wow, Cheryl Sandberg said it much better in her book, Lean In. But had I gone into that room and felt intimidated, had I not taken a seat at the table, you know, he would have said, Oh, mystery solved. I'm so sorry. You're not supposed to be in this room. And instead, a whole different outcome. So that was a huge lesson, you know, just by being a mistake and just speaking up, <laughs> being crazy. And look, at the, speaking. <laughs> and look at the value that you provided too. I mean, I think back to when I was in my early 20s and working in news and didn't know any better, <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it. Like, I didn't know that there was this hierarchy that people were going to look down on me because I was so new and fresh and young and didn't know anything. And so I thought at the time that if you had a seat at the table, all voices were equal. Like you speak up, you talk, you share thoughts. And so it wasn't until later that I learned like, wait a minute, maybe, maybe they don't really want the, the interns to be speaking up. And I think we should all live like that no matter what stage we are in our career, because every voice has value. 
um, we, we often talk about now at our marketing agency about making sure that we have a mix of people on the team of all different ages so that we're fully understanding and looking at things from all different generations, all different experience points. But I, it's just so funny to think back when I didn't know any better about was my voice supposed to be heard? And I just, I didn't know, so I spoke up. And I just think, gosh, what if more women, what if more women of color, what if more people in general were speaking up and sharing in these positive ways? Look at how much better your organization is because you did so. Mm -hmm. And also, by the way, were they really only going to have one person of color on that committee? So maybe that accident was a good one. <laughs> and, not, and not only that, let, let's face it, and we've discussed this as well, women will tend to hold back more than men do. So there's the, most men, even at that intern level, I remember when I was at ESPN, you'd have, you know, if you had your, say, intern or assistant male, they had no problem, you know. <laughs> It's just jumping in there and well, this is, hey, have you considered this or think about that? And women like like we tend to do. I, I I guess there's something in general in our nature that just has us kind of pipe down and say, just do the work, just do the work. Don't worry about it. You haven't earned that that ability to speak yet. And it's not about earning that ability to speak. If you have something to contribute to the discussion, then it should be heard, regardless of where you sit in the quote unquote hierarchy of the situation. So we're moving now from JP Morgan. We're jumping past so many different things, but you are now the city of Stanford's first ever DEI officer, which means all eyes are on you in this new role. How have you approached this position with the city? That is a great question. <laughs> I think I have approached it with open ears to listen, open eyes to see, and a compassionate heart to listen to the hardships um, with a loyalty for people to be able to trust the things that they're telling, sharing with me about their experience, um, good and bad, as a city employee. And then knowing that I'm following the rules that I always gave in my training sessions. All your personal stories stay in this room, you know, but all your learnings and your sharings, let's share those out. But the personal stories stay here. So I've been really being on a whirlwind listening tour, talking to as many people as I can. We administered our first employee engagement survey in a very long time, but we did it in Spanish and in English, which was definitely something new, especially because we recognize that, um, I mean, goodness, more than 50% of Stanford residents speak Spanish. So we would think that a number of our employees also speak Spanish. So we wanted to make sure that we were administering this survey to accommodate everybody into the natural language to respond. And so I've been reading through everyone's responses and making sure that I can come up with themes so I can really help make use that as my direction of travel for how we're going to learn what's going on within the organization and then pr prioritize my direction of travel. Are you noticing, are there any differences in dealing with diversity, equity, at the city level versus at the corporate level? Are, are, are there any, I'm not, I'm not sure if there would be, but are you noticing, is there any difference in, in those two, in those two different worlds? You, you know what? No. I mean, the, the, the experiences are very similar. It's the way they're handled are so different, I think, because what I'm finding is that when you're dealing with 
the unions. The unions approach is a very, you know, black and white approach, but in life, there's a lot of gray, you know? And I think it's that gray area that makes sometimes some things a little bit more difficult to, to navigate than when you can in the corporate environment or in the public and private sector. But not saying that's a bad thing, it's just a different thing. So if I were to find something different, that would be one of the differences that I'm, I'm recognizing. You know, I think it's so interesting that one of the kind of marketing points on um, when we're talking about you and your role, your title, is that you're the city's first diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. And of course, we also, you know, this comes after we we talked recently with Caroline Simmons, which is she is Stanford's first, you know, woman mayor. And I'm just caught by this nuance here where it's like, on one hand, it's the first and isn't this amazing? It isn't this great. And on the other hand, I'm like, really, it's the first <laughs> we're still there. We're still we're still celebrating the first female we're st still celebrating the first DEI and I know we have to start somewhere right but can you talk a little bit you know what is what is this like for you I mean I, I would imagine that you're wanting to really pave the way and make these inroads but are we getting there fast enough we'll never get there fast enough <laughs> but also too one thing that I'm learning with DEI is what is there you know, this is gonna be a journey that we're on and it's gonna be constantly evolving. The world is constantly evolving. So I am happy that I am the first and you know, to your perfect analogy, I have the opportunity to put down some really solid pavement um, for us to grow from. And what I'm also finding is that there are a number, a number of other, other cities that are in the exact same space that I am. So, you know, that's been very comforting too. So I just reached out to Hartford, they just, you know, hired their first one about a year or so ago. I just reached out to another city that just hired their first one. You know, I'm helping Norwalk, you know, recruit their first one. So, you know, it's 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 nice to know that we are moving and it's nice to see other cities following our route saying, okay, this is something we need to do. And then on the flip side, we also have role models. We have cities like King or counties like King County or Bellevue County in Seattle. You know, I spent some time out there because they've been steep in this work for the past 20 plus years, you know, and what was great was that their approach was so totally different. You know, King County is really focused on racial justice and racial equity, you know, versus Bellevue takes the approach of let's look at holistically, you know, from a DEI perspective on, you know, race, gender, accessibility, economic status, you know, not just focus solely, I shouldn't say King County's focus solely on race, but it's rooted in racial justice. So let's talk about your consulting firm a bit. I started my own digital marketing agency. So I know the challenges that come, the, you know, the, the definite benefits, but also the challenges that come with being the one who is running the show. What has been the greatest challenge for you and the greatest benefit of being the founder of your own consulting agency? One of the greatest benefits was creating you know, and doing it quote unquote my way and really just getting the chance to just explore and talk to people and really helping them with their issues. Um, and that was part of the reasons why I wanted to go off and do my own is because I was working under another organization and their way of rolling out the methodology was slightly different than what I felt was true in my heart. So this gave me the opportunity to say, this is how I think it should be done and roll it out and 
get that step and repeat and then, you know, get the referrals and seeing the growth and seeing the measurable success that people were having saying, okay, yes, job well done. That worked. The hard thing about when it's your own company is you're constantly on all day long. I mean, even when you're on vacation, it's eat what you kill. So even when I was on vacation, I can remember we were in Aruba and I was, you know, in the room, I have a good conference call. Oh, I have to facilitate this workshop or, and my kids were like, are you coming down ever? And literally my husband counts up the hours. He said, you spent more time in the room than, you know, with us, just so you know, you know? And I was like, oh, you know, so that was one of the things. And then that feeling of just being, you know, in the back of the, in the back of your lab with your pen and a pad all by yourself kind of gets lonely sometimes. So rewarding and challenging. <laughs> it's, it's that it's the balance that that we also discuss a great deal about in finding and figuring out where is where's the where's the sweet spot right where's the sweet spot where when can i put this away and then bring it back out the next morning and i i would have i would imagine i guess and julie you you obviously both of you can speak to this would it is difficult to just put that away because that is your baby <laughs> that is you you put it together you've made it you've developed it you've grown it and if you, you know it, it's almost almost like your own child that's a 24 7 thing <laughs> and if I can add one more thing to it I think it also was that burnout that a lot of people felt through 2020 2021 and now that we're working from home so much more is that in my office is right here in the home. So every time I walk past my office, it was, okay, let me just send out this one email, which then turned into a couple hours because I love doing what I'm doing. And so I was easily just sucked into it. And so there's something to be said for that too. I mean, there was pros and cons of that, but I think that's also why sometimes we hear a lot of people just going through a lot of stress right now, because when you don't have the office as a help to kind of turn it off, and you're more kind of then relying on your iPhone to get you there versus actually the computer in your office calling you in to do the work. There's a difference. I feel like such a broken record, Carmen. I don't know about you, but it's like it's it's constant balance. You know, and Rish, you, you say that a lot too. It's I think for all women, no matter what you're balancing, you're balancing something. And if it's your your own business, you know, you're the one in charge of making sure that your clients are staying on track, your team, you know, whatever that is but you're also passionate about it. You love what you do. You love helping people. And so you want to do it just as much as, as you feel the need to do it. And so it's just that constant balancing routine of making sure you're also fitting in time for family and time for you and these other things that you want to be doing. It's just, it, it, and I feel like every, for every step forward I take in learning that lesson of balance, I still have a mile ahead of me. <laughs> like there's still so much more to constantly be learning about perfecting this, I don't know, fairy tale of balance. You know, it's funny. It is a fairy tale of balance. Actually, I think it's more of a nightmare because it's the wrong word. And I just changed mm -hmm. my language. It's not balance, it's integration. And I think it's because we're always trying to balance, which is why we always are just so frustrated and overworking ourselves and overdoing it. But we have to really think about work-life integration and how we're going to integrate the two. And it's when I've changed that language is when I actually started to actually feel better and gave myself permission to turn it off. Because before I was trying to balance and I couldn't get the balance, but I was like, oh, I have to figure out how to integrate it, so. I love that, integration. 
<laughs> and let me tell you, Carmen is, is she's all about the vocabulary. <laughs> she, she finds that the, the special vocabulary to make things, what is when you were telling me about make a mistake, but it, you, you refer to yourself positively. I'm so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. That was one of um, a woman who I used to, um, he's worked for me. She gave that to me because whenever I made a mistake, she's like, oh, Carmen, you're so pretty. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start saying that. You know what? Forget I it. I that. make a mistake. And you know, <laughs> the bigger the mistake, the bigger the pageant I'm winning. <laughs> you know what? I think that that, I think part of that also just, just adds to the, the positive, the positiveness of our minds, because I know that I can get into a rut of, I did this wrong. I, I've said it time and time again, and my husband gets very frustrated with me because I've said over and over again, I fail my children every single day. Mm. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, this happened and that happened and this happened. And he's like, okay, you know what? That's called life. And then he's like, so you need to stop with the, how you failed your family. You failed your child. You didn't something where's where it's it's a constant work in progress so i know for me that's another aspect that i have to work on is finding better vocabulary that's going to trigger more positive more well there's just more positive thought process and positive momentum of what it is i'm trying to to do because when you're constantly just sinking in on on what ha what didn't happen or how this worked out or how this didn't work out like one little thing i try to always remember i i try to avoid the say don't forget i often try to say just remember you know so and so remember to do this remember to do that and i was taught that many years ago don't use don't forget because you're automatically starting with a negative with the don't so just remember whatever it is that you want to remember. So I always try to keep that in mind. You know, Rish, I just want to share something along those lines and not to get us off track, but our 14 year old, almost 15 year old recently taught us a lesson along those same lines. And he's a child with some special cognitive needs. And so, so keep this in mind as I share this. He, even when he's so angry and so frustrated with us for asking him to do something he doesn't want to do, he'll say, I know you're asking me to do this because you care about me, but you know, da, 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 insert teenage language here. And I think that is such an important reminder, no matter how much we feel like we're failing, if that is at the end of the day, the only lesson that these kiddos have is that we care about them. We love them. That is all they need. And I think we need to remind ourselves, as you said, remember, we need to remind ourselves of that too. If at the end of the day, we feel like we've done all these things wrong, or we've made all these mistakes, as long as we are caring for ourselves and loving on ourselves with that positivity, it's all we have to do. Day is one. Can I take two quick things to that? I love this and yes, I'm all about vocabulary and what we're telling ourselves because so naturally what we 60 to 80% of what we tell ourselves is negative anyway. I mean, when we look in the mirror, the first one saying, oh my gosh, the bags in my eyes, my hair. So we have to do better job of saying positive things. And so I started changing my language instead of I have to, I get to, you know? Mm -hmm. I, oh, I have to go to work. No, I get to go to work, you know, and I forget yeah. where, and I really need to find out, remember who I heard that from so I can acknowledge the right person. But when I heard that, I was like, oh yes, we're going to start saying, oh, I get to, because that just changes your whole, 
the whole way of being, the whole way you're feeling about something, you know, it's just, it, so. It makes, it lightens it up. It, 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 it's almost as if it removes a weight when you're, when the word is, oh, I have to, I mean, you just hear, I have to versus, oh my gosh, I get to do, and you're already, you're just lifted up. It just lifts you automatically. I think and also the gratitude of it. You know, how many people are out of work or not finding the right work or, you know, whatever, whatever hardships or troubles there might be. Mm. Absolutely. It may not be perfect, but we get to do it. Well, and taking that, that knowledge of learning this perfect segue into what I want to talk to you about, because I know Carmen, you are on a couple of different school boards ranging from pre-K uh, up through high school. I'm wondering what, what is the importance for you specifically, this particular age group, preschool to high school, what is the importance for you to be on those boards, those directorships with that particular group of children? Well, I think for right now, it's because that's where two of my children are at in school is in that range of pre-K to K. I have three children. I have a 21-year-old who's a junior in college. I have a 13-year-old who's going to the eighth grade and I have, oh, I'm sorry, she's going to her, the oldest one's going to her senior year of college. And then I have a 13-year-old who's going to eighth grade and a nine-year-old going into the fourth grade. So I'm really involved in that spectrum. And if you think about these early years are such the developmental years of our brain. And this is, you know, when how our teachers and our educators are interacting with our children is making such a huge impact because you know what at the end of the day they're spending more time with my children during the week than i am so i really want to make sure that i know what they're saying that i know how they're how they're showing up and that they and that we can have and that they understand that that's important as a parent so i'm on, on the board of one of my children's schools and then the other school I just love their mission. You know, it's, it's Waterside in Stanford, Connecticut, and their whole approach of looking at, you know, they want to give the best education to lower income students, families, but instead of the art. You know, when I first heard about that school, I was, you know, someone told me about it and I was like, is this going to be another one of these, you know, charity situations where they're not giving the best and they're saying all the right things, but they're not doing all the right things. And so I resisted even going to see the school for the first two years. And then finally I said, okay, I'll go look at the school. And then I went and I said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I was like, you know, these children are getting support that they need and that mentorship and sponsorship, you know, from pre-K to fifth grade, you graduate, you graduate at the fifth grade when you leave that school, but you know what? That support is ongoing. We're now starting an alumni program for our children who are graduating from college. You know, they know that they can come back and come to us and we're going to help them with whatever they're dealing with. And that's huge because this is communities don't necessarily have that access. So I just fell in love with that whole mission and just recognizing the power of the difference that we're making in these ch children's lives from pre-K. And it's honestly having a face such as yours, having someone as invested as you are, having someone who's got the experience in the real world that you have, them being able to then see that is so beneficial to those kids. So I, they may not, and they don't, they don't recognize it yet. Most of them have, don't understand that yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they will, they will. I just had a, a situation, my high school guidance counselor uh, recently passed away and that man was 
amazing. And I called to talk to uh, his wife, his widow, and I got his one of his daughters on the phone. And we were talking and she said, you know, I, 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 I had apologized because I know they're dealing with planning the memorial and, and everything. And I said, I know fielding phone calls is not really what you want to be doing right now. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, this is awesome. She said, because I love hearing the stories about how he touched so many different people's lives. And he really did. I mean, this was a guy where I remember he was my counselor for only my freshman and sophomore year. He was my brother's counselor for all four of my brother's um, high school years. But he went off to pursue music with his brothers and they started their country music group and they started touring everywhere. He did that my junior year. But I remember my first two years, he would call me out of class for no other reason than to find out, how are you today? That's it, just, you know, and, and not everybody, I was talking to my mom and I said, you know, I've had both experiences on the scale of instructors, teachers, counselors, people who want to help, who are in education for the right reason, and people who I don't really know why they're in education. I've had this guy who would call me out of class just to check on me to see how I'm doing, who would talk to my parents, who spoke at my brother's memorial service. And then I've had the individual who, when I went to her as a 12, 13 year old kid dealing with bullying, asked her, said to her straight up, I don't need you to fight my battles for me. I'm just like, like some advice on how I should handle this situation. And her response to me is, I can't fight your battles, turned her back and walked away. So I've seen both of those aspects. So when you have individuals, and I realize that you're not in the school, but as a member of the these board of directors who is seeing what they're doing and can have an influence on how they move forward, how they might change up some of their programs, how they might add something that might be missing. I, I just think that that is such an invaluable benefit for the kids. And, and I'm just grateful that you're a part of that world in, in any way, shape and form. Oh, uh, so we, this has been fun. <laughs> this has been great, but we also don't want to keep your time. So we are going to go ahead and just say thank you so much for being a part of this. But before we go, before we wrap things up, Carmen, we do have what is called our rapid fire questions. Um, so we're just going to ask you three questions. We want your, your, your quick to the point answer. So let's, uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, here we go. Number one. Is there a lesson that you've recently learned that you wish you had learned earlier in your career? I think it's that advice on um, integration. That's something that I'm just now learning and I wish I did learn it earlier because I burnt myself out in a number of situations because I was trying to balance. I wrote it down, two underlines underneath it, integration, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Carmen, other than integration, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to any woman? You know, I also think that the other really big one is to follow your heart, you know, and I really think that if you do something that makes you feel good and that you feel is following your purpose and you have an impact, go for it. Because I actually remember in 2010, I remember saying to someone, you know, I'm thinking about leaving the trading floor. I really want to start getting to diversity. So I think I'm gonna go talk to the head of diversity and see if I can move into her group. And this woman said to me, Carmen, you don't wanna do that. That's where you end your career. 
and you're doing so well where you are, don't do that. And I wish I would have not listened to that advice. I wish I would have spoken to more people and got more advice. And I wish I would just follow my heart because I knew that was where I was happiest. And it wasn't until my husband told me in 2012, he says, you know, you come home happiest either what you've done for diversity or how you develop talent. So you should actually think about moving to HR. And after I cursed him out, like, are you crazy? You do not know who I am. Why would I ever go into HR? I was like, wow, you're really smart. I married you. <laughs> yeah, that was good advice. <laughs> and I moved into HR and that was so smart. What a smart decision it was for me to bring you into my world as my husband. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's fun when you say I do. <laughs> In today's professional setting, what is the most important skill for a woman? There's two things. I think we as women, one of the things we do is we tend to take things personal. And so I actually keep a Q-tip on my desk because Q-tip stands for quit taking it personal. And so I keep it there because I think so many times we as women, we just take things too personal. So just stop it. So that, and just see, I literally, here's my Q-tip. <laughs> <laughs> I keep it on all my computers. Um, so I think that's one, but then I also think it's really about advocating for self and putting yourself forward. Too often we also put other people's needs ahead of ours and we don't speak up for what we want because we have the talent, we have the ability. So I don't think it's a skill that we need. We have the skill set. You know, we just don't have the self-confidence sometimes to speak up because we're concerned of the labels that come for women who show authority, that we have sharp elbows and all these other negative connotations that come to it versus men who do it, they're leaders. And I think that we just need to, you know, power through that and lead with that authoritative way, but with compassion, because that's natural. <laughs> Carmen, you are doing some incredible work in the city of Stanford. And like you said earlier, even talking with people in other cities, how can our listeners connect with you online? Oh, if they want to connect with me through uh, email, I'm at chughes1 at stanfordct.gov, and I'll spell my last name. It's C-H-U-G-H-E-S, the number one, at stanfordct.gov. Excellent. And we'll link to that in the transcript of this podcast so people can have an easy connection to you. Carmen Hughes, thank you again for being here today. That is all for this episode of Think Tank of Three. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, send us a message at thinktankofthree at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Think Tank of Three wherever you listen to podcasts and connect with us online. We blog weekly at thinktankofthree.com. Follow us on social media. You can find us individually on LinkedIn and as Think Tank of Three on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Women, click to join our private group on Facebook where we can all share advice and articles. And if you liked what you heard in the podcast, share it. You can find Think Tank of Three on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, and SoundCloud.